We open on an alien planet with a very bright sun. There are some short stone columns near the gate, making it look vaguely temple-like. We see Sam and Tilk setting up some observational equipment near the gate because there is apparently a huge geomagnetic storm going on and the sun is letting off massive coronal emissions. Definitely lots of cool sciencey stuff for Sam because that's what she likes to do. Daniel, meanwhile, is over at this pedestal altar thing with another man. He is not from Earth, but is human of some kind. And Daniel is taking some rubbings of the carvings of the writings that are on the walls around the altar. And he says it's similar to Latin. At this point, it looks like the temple is all there is, right? Like there's we don't really we don't really see anything around it. No, it does seem like the planet is deserted in general, but also the SGC has never been very good about exploring the other side of the planet. So (laughs) who knows what's there? But yeah, yeah, as far as we can see, it seems deserted. Yeah. So as we get closer, we can see that this is the language of the ancients that was, you know, on Ernest's planet and that Jack spoke when he had that repository of knowledge downloaded into his brain in the fifth race. And this man, his name is Malachi. He keeps urging Daniel to get his team to leave, citing the coming solar storm. And Daniel just keeps brushing him off, insisting that Sam will let them know when they need to leave. And this guy's acting pretty squirrely at this point. Yeah, not yeah. good. Something, something's yeah. up. Something's up. It's been two minutes. Yeah. What's yeah. going on? Yeah. yeah. There is one line of text that appears in several places. Uh, it's Damo Waitus Westol Notabilium. And Malachi translate this as conqueror of time. But Daniel says it's probably more like master of the uncertain past. <gasps> master of uncertain past. I need to incorporate that into like my regular vocabulary. Like maybe put that on a business card. You have a master of something. I mean, that I like is a pretty it. cool catchphrase if you need a catchphrase for something. <laughs> master of the uncertain past. Maybe a good slogan for a nightclub. Oh, I like it. <laughs> uh, so this uh, handheld device that Malachi is holding starts beeping and he says, the geomagnetic disturbance is reaching its peak. I have to act now. He then pulls out something that looks like a weapon, aims it at Daniel, who rightly replies, I don't understand. And it's just such a Daniel thing to do when someone points a gun at him just to stare and say, I don't understand. Well, I mean, do you think that you in this time would would like duck or run or move or something? Or would you just be like, I don't don't get it. We were getting along so well. You were complimenting me and my master of the uncertain past. And I don't understand. I mean, yeah, in this scenario, I'd probably be like what Daniel did and just be like, why are you doing this? We were friends. I thought we were friends. Why are you pointing a gun at me? I don't get it. I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. So he shoots Daniel, who falls down uh, unconscious, maybe. And so Malachi pulls his body like off to the side and then begins pressing some stones on the altar and then a button sort of off to the side, which activates it because the stones start moving up and down kind of like a -a whack-a-mole arcade game yeah we don't know at this point if this needs to be like chalked up to another death of daniel toll yet though right we don't know no there is a theory about that about whether or not daniel is dead or just unconscious but we can we'll get to that at the end because it actually relates to something that malachi says at the end of the episode no okay 
So Sam is done setting up her equipment and Jack calls to Daniel over the radio because it's time to go. Obviously, he gets no response and they like look over to where the altar is. And then we get this sound like some kind of static energy is building up. And Tilk even says something like, Jack, do you hear that? He's like, yeah, I hear that. And you can tell they kind of don't like this noise. Like it kind of signals that something is happening that may be not good. Mm-hmm. And the pillars that are by the gate start arcing energy between them. And then the gate activates and everyone ducks down just in time to avoid the kawoosh. We have a quick cut back to the SGC where there's an incoming wormhole and that same blue energy is seen spreading over like the gate and the iris. They obviously have no idea what that is. So back on the planet, they rush over towards Malachi and see Daniel. Sam goes to check on him while Jack and Tilk grab Malachi to try and like get him away from the altar when that beam of blue light shoots back towards the altar and like envelops them. And then there's this bright flash of light and then... opportunity a stargate rewatch podcast i'm carrie i'm rachel and today we're finally finally talking about stargate sg1 season four episode six window of opportunity yay so this this podcast is named after this episode and i don't know if i've ever explained it before to you guys out there but I suggested this title to Rachel and she agreed to it to window of opportunity because we are rewatching these episodes. We're not like faking. We had never seen them before. So like this episode is reliving the events of a particular day. We are reliving our experience with the show. And luckily Rachel agreed and liked it. And so that is why this is called window of opportunity. And yeah, this might be one of, if not the Best Stargate episode ever. Ooh, like your favorite? It's not my favorite. I mean, it is in my top five. It's not my favorite, but it is, like, if you ever read lists about, like, the best episodes of Stargate, this is, like, number one on many of them. Top five ever. I don't even know what my favorite would be, but we all know that's because I really don't even remember watching half of these episodes anyway, so... That's true. I should probably write them down so that I get to the end and can actually tell you what my top five and my favorite episode of all time actually is. I do I do know what my favorite because it's like the same that it's been forever and it, it's actually coming up this season so I'll let you oh, know when we get it? to it. Yeah. Okay. Oh yep. all right. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yay. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well shall we just get into it? Talk Let's about do it. this episode. Okay. So this episode originally aired on August 4th, 2000. It was written by Joseph Malozzi and Paul Mully and directed by, of course, who else but Peter DeLuise. 
Yay! In this, I missed ep- his cameo though. Where did you catch his cameo? I did. Yes. Okay. It's 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 a little one. It's not as okay. obvious as some other ones. So. All right. It's very easily overlooked. Okay. So in this episode, after SG-1 visits a strange planet in the middle of a geomagnetic storm, they find themselves repeating the same day over and over again. The team must utilize their accumulated knowledge to stop the time loop before there are disastrous consequences across the universe. But it isn't SG-1's fault this time. No, for once it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. So we open on an alien planet with a very bright sun, and there are some short stone columns near the gate making it look vaguely temple-like. We see Sam and Tilk setting up some kind of observational equipment near the gate because there is apparently a huge geomagnetic storm coming, and the sun is letting off massive coronal emissions and definitely lots of cool sciencey stuff for Sam to observe and report on because that's the kind of thing that she likes to do. Daniel, meanwhile, is over at this pedestal altar thing with another man. He's not from Earth, but is a human of some kind. And Daniel is taking some rubbings of the carvings of the writings that are on the walls around this altar. And he says that it is similar to Latin. It looks like this temple is there all there is, right? It doesn't it's like seem like there's anything else around. No, it does seem like, in general, this planet is deserted, but as we know, the SGC isn't great about exploring the other side of the planet. So <laughs> who yeah. knows what's there? But yeah, as far as we know, this little temple altar thing is it. Yeah. So as we get closer, we see that this is the language of the ancients that, you know, from Ernest's planet and that Jack spoke when he had their repository of knowledge downloaded into his brain in the fifth race. And the man whose name is Malachi keeps urging Daniel to get his team and leave, citing the coming solar storm. And Daniel just keeps brushing him off, insisting that Sam will let them know when they need to leave. And this guy's acting real squirrely at this point. I don't know. It's it's been like two minutes, but like yeah. this guy this guy's up to something. Yeah. And so going back to the writings, there's one line of text that appears in several places, Damoetus Westel Notabilium, which Malachi translates this as conqueror of time, but Daniel says it's probably more like master of the uncertain past given the context of it. Master of uncertain past. I need to incorporate that into like my regular vocabulary, or like put that on a business card or something. I mean, it would be a pretty cool catchphrase if you need a catchphrase for something. Master of uncertain past. Mm. I like it. Maybe a slogan for a nightclub or a bar. (gasps) I like it. (laughs) So uh, this little handheld device that Malachi is holding beeps and he says, the geomagnetic disturbance is reaching its peak. I have to act now. He then pulls out something that looks like a weapon and aims it at Daniel, who rightly replies, I don't understand. (laughs) And it's just such a Daniel thing to do. Like someone points a gun at him and he just stares and says, I don't understand. Well, do you think that at this point in time you would have like ducked or moved out of the way or like run or something? Or would you just be like, I don't I don't get it. We were having such a great time. You were complimenting me. We were, we were getting along so great. You're complimenting me on my language skills just now. Yeah, I mean, I think in this particular situation, I'd probably be a lot like Daniel and be like, I don't, why are you doing this? Like, we were we were getting along so well. It was great. I don't understand why you're pointing a gun at me. Yeah. <laughs> so he shoots Daniel, who falls down unconscious, question mark. 
And Malachi then like pulls Daniel's body off to the side a bit and then begins pressing stones on the altar and then a button that's off to the side, which activates it. And because the the stones that are on it start moving up and down, kind of like some sort of whack-a-mole arcade game. We don't know at this point whether or not to chalk this up to one of Daniel's death tolls, right? We don't we don't know whether or not he's dead. No, we don't. There is a theory about whether or not Daniel is dead or just unconscious, but we can get to that at the end because it actually relates to something Malachi says, like, at the end of the episode. Oh, okay. So Sam is done setting up her equipment, and Jack calls Daniel over over the radio that it's time to go. Obviously, he gets no response. They look over to where he was, and then there's the sound like static energy buildup is happening and the pillars by the gate start arcing energy between them and the gate activates and everyone ducks down just in time to avoid the kawoosh and we have a quick cut back to the SGC where there is an incoming wormhole and that same energy is seen like spreading over the iris and the gate itself and they obviously have no idea what that is. So back on the planet, they rush over towards Malachi and see Daniel, and Sam goes to check on him while Jack and Tilk rush over to Malachi and try to get him, like, away from the altar when that blue energy beam kind of goes back towards the altar and hits the three of them, and then there's this bright flash of light, and... We're in the commissary at the SGC with a team eating breakfast, as Daniel says. Anyway, I'm sorry, but that just, ha- that just happens to be how I feel about it. What do you think? couple notes and fun facts here. So this is actually one of the episodes that's in the script book. So some of the notes and fun facts will come from there. And apparently this was originally scripted as a plate of mac and cheese, but then it was decided that Fruit Loops would be funnier for somebody who's stuck in a time loop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the fun fact about that is that the Fruit Loops were actually glued onto Jack's spoon so that they would be the exact same in every shot. Oh, really? That's funny. Yep. Yeah. I bet, I bet they do that in commercials and stuff, too, though. So that doesn't oh, yeah. really seem out of the realm yeah. of possibility. Yeah. If you think about it, it's like, of course they would do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Jack is very confused about what's happening as we cut to the opening credits. So, um, what do you think that Daniel's question was? I mean, that is a debate for the ages. Um, I think Daniel was making a very passionate argument as to who is the current best player in the NHL. I'm going to go that um, he wanted to make a suggestion that all of the SG team uniforms should be purple. <laughs> but that's that's not very good for camouflage. But it is good for fashion. That, yeah, that's hard to argue with. Yeah. <laughs> it would all look amazing. It's very regal. It is very regal, yes. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we come back still in the commissary, like just where we left off when we cut to the opening credits. And Jack's like, we were just on an alien planet. Daniel's like, no. Yes, we were. No, we weren't. And Sam says they've been chatting over breakfast for the last 30 minutes. But oh, crap. Now it's time to head up to the briefing. And just these banter scenes that Jack and Daniel have are so good. I love them. They're like my favorite thing in like the series whenever you just let like Michael and Rick just like go back and forth like that. It's no, fantastic. And I love the way Michael says stuff too, where he's quickly just like, no, we were not. No, no, yeah. we were not there. It's just, it's very like calm, but like, no, no. Yep. We, we did not just do the thing. 
So Sam is up front leading the briefing and opens with two weeks ago, SG-15 took these images of solar activity on P4X639. Analysis of the data indicates a steady increase in the intensity. Now, if I'm right, the explosions that we're witnessing here are just the precursor for an exponentially greater violent ejection. So Tilk and Jack both interrupt because they're like, we just did this. Like, we just went to this planet. And the others are like, no, we didn't. This briefing is about going to this planet to do this. And Jack then explains why Sam wants to go there and the experiments she wants to run, et cetera. And he's like, how would I know that if we didn't just do that? And then one of my all time favorite exchanges where Sam goes, maybe you read my report. And Daniel just goes, maybe he read your report. <laughs> Daniel's face, he's saying that is just like hilarious. I know Michael's face is just too much in this scene. It's fantastic. I know. <laughs> they have so much chemistry. It's amazing. I know. I love it. So Jack and Tilk both continue to insist that they've done this before when they're interrupted by an unscheduled off-world activation. So they all head down to the control room. And Jack says that it's SG-12, but they're not due back for several days. And the GDO comes in and it's SG-12. And Tilk adds that one of the members is injured, and one of them is... <gasps> injured! Dun-dun-dun! Confused looks around. Confused looks all around. So we cut to uh, General Hammond and Sam walking through the halls, trying to figure out what's going on with Jack and Tilk, and basically they just, they got nothing. They don't know. In the infirmary, Jack and Tilk are being examined, and Daniel is asking questions about what exactly happened on P4X639, and they tell him about, like, the beam of light, and that archaeologist guy Malachi, and how he and Daniel got along real swell, and basically, like, a beam of light shot out from the altar device, hit the stargate, then there was a flash of light, and Jack was back in the commissary eating Fruit Loops. And Tilk's makeup in that scene in that infirmary scene mm -hmm. like it was it's usually like smoky and kind of winged but much more subtle like in this one did you notice it was it was almost like cleopatra ish it was just like it was very um it was very winged and edged yeah i did notice that it was yeah it was very dark and very precise i guess like they had to rush through makeup and they didn't get to finish blending it or something yeah, it's the only time I've ever seen it like that. I kind of yeah. liked it, though, but I don't know. I'm not sure if I liked it. <laughs> so you liked it, but you don't know if you liked it. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so the medical exams are totally normal, except for the fact that Jack and Tilk are remembering stuff that hasn't happened yet. But until they figure out what's going on, General Hammond is postponing the mission. So then a bit later... Out in the hallway, Daniel is carrying a bunch of folders and catches up with Jack at like a T-junction in the hallway. And he's apparently had some thoughts about the beam of light that came from the altar. And luckily, SG-15 took a bunch of pictures, but it's the equivalent of about 400 pages of alien text. And if Jack had more details about like the layout of the altar, that might be a help. And just then, Siler comes like running down that the other part of that T-junction and just smacks right into Daniel, sending him to the ground. The picture's all over the place and we just get Jack going. Should have seen that one coming. And a fun fact, here we have Peter DeLuise's cameo. He's that- <gasps> There it is! Yeah, he's that other airman with Siler who like helps Daniel stand back up and oh, stuff. Oh, I missed it. Okay. Yeah. 
right. uh, little bonus fun fact that is uh, Dan Shea slamming into Michael Shanks because Michael Shanks is a hockey player, so he's used to getting knocked on his ass, so he can do no. that himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jack's face in this scene is hilarious, but like, did he look more sad to you than like amused? I don't know if it's really sad, but his expression was definitely flatter than I would expect it to be. Yeah, it, it almost kind of seemed like this was like a repeat, but it was the first time. So I don't know. His reaction was kind of yeah. off. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So we cut to the commissary where Jack is enjoying a cup of coffee and looking bored out of his mind. Sam sits down and just stares at Jack, wondering if he knows what she's going to say. And Nope, because they should be on the other planet at this point. So this is all new. Uh, anyway, Sam was also thinking about that beam of light that hit the gate and posits that Jack and Tilk aren't remembering future events, but were actually sent back in time. For six hours? Yeah, why not? So she asks, could the beam you mentioned be a means to access the, access the gate's subspace field in order to create some kind of time inversion outside of subspace? And Jack just kind of looks at her and goes, I knew you were going to say that. And anyway, she's going to go run some simulations. And uh, this this little bit from Jack here at the end was not in the script. This was just RDA on set improvising, as he does often, where he goes, you run, simulate. Let me know how it turns out. Keep me posted. Keep me apprised. I like that scene very much. So Jack and Tilk are up in Hammond's office, who gives them the all clear, health-wise at least, and he's about to give them the go-ahead to go back to work when there is another unscheduled off-world activation. They all head down to the control room, and there's that weird blue energy thing again. Jack and Tilk know exactly what that is. There's again that bright flash of light, and then... Window of Opportunity, a Stargate rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're finally, finally talking about Stargate Yay! SG-1, Season 4, Episode 6, Window of Opportunity! Yay! So, yes, our podcast is named after this episode, and I don't know if I've ever explained why before, but I suggested this as a title to Rachel, and luckily she agreed. Because Window of Opportunity is about, you know, reliving the same day over and over and over again. And we're, like, reliving our history with this show because we are re-watching it. We're not pretending like we've never seen it before. So I thought it fit. And luckily, Rachel agreed. Yes. And Window of Opportunity, like, this might just be one of, if not the best Stargate episode ever. Is it your favorite? It's not my favorite. No. No. It, I mean, it's in the it's in my top five, but it is not my favorite. But yeah, like if you ever see those like 
list their like the top 20 best episodes of Stargate, this is more often than not like number one. Oh yeah. I need to write these down. I have no idea what my top five would even be, but we all know that's because I really don't even remember half of these episodes anyway. So yeah. I should probably start keeping a list. Yes. And I may, I do know what my favorite one is and it is actually coming up this season. So Ooh, I'll let okay. you know when we get to it. Yay. Do we have to guess? No, you don't have to guess. I'll just tell you. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So should we just get to this one? Do we get into it? Yep. Let's do it. Okay. So this episode originally aired on August 4th, 2000. It was written by Joseph Malozzi and Paul Mully and directed by who else but Peter DeLuise. Yay. Did you see his cameo? I missed his cameo. Yeah, it's it's a little one this week, so it, it is yeah, a little so. harder to miss, but yeah, I'll, I'll let you know when we get there. Okay, all right. So in this episode, after SG-1 visits a strange planet in the middle of a geomagnetic storm, they find themselves repeating the same day over and over again. The team must utilize their accumulated knowledge to stop the time loop before there are disastrous consequences across the universe. It isn't SG-1's fault this time. No, for once it's not. <laughs> for once, yes. So we open on an alien planet with a very bright sun, and there are some short stone columns near the gate, making it look vaguely temple-like. We see Sam and Tilk setting up some observational equipment near the gate because there's apparently a huge geomagnetic storm going on and the sun is letting off massive coronal emissions definitely lots of really cool sciencey stuff for sam to observe and report on because that's the kind of thing she likes to do daniel meanwhile is over at this pedestal altar thing with another man who he is human but he's not from earth and daniel is taking some rubbings of the carvings of the writings that are on the walls around the altar and he says that it's similar to latin and it looks like this place like the temple kind of looks like that's all there is, right? We don't really see anything in the immediate area around it, like at all. Yeah, it seems like in general, this planet is deserted, but also we know the SGC isn't great at exploring the other side of the planet. So I know. <laughs> who knows? There could be something over there, but yeah, as far as we know, it's just, yeah, this temple is all there is and nothing else. Yeah, we don't know. So as we get closer, we see that this is the language of the ancients, like from Ernest's planet, and that Jack spoke when he had the repository of knowledge downloaded into his brain in the fifth race. And the man, Malachi, keeps urging Daniel to get his team and leave, citing the coming solar storm. And Daniel just keeps brushing him off, insisting that Sam will let them know when they need to leave. And he's he's acting real squirrely right yes, now. Not right. Yeah. No, it's been like yeah. two minutes. Like, yeah. what, what's going on with this guy? Yeah. Mm. And so going back to the text, there is this one line that appears in several places. It's Damo Waitus Westel Notabilium, which Malachi translates this as conqueror of time. But Daniel says it's probably more like master of the uncertain past. Ooh. I need to incorporate that, like, into my regular vocabulary. Master of the uncertain past. <laughs> or maybe put it on, like, a business card or something. I mean, it is a pretty cool catchphrase if you need a catchphrase for something. Yeah. 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 Maybe maybe a slogan for, like, a nightclub or a bar. <gasps> Stop it. I like it. Yes. <laughs> Write uh, that down. Okay. Got it. Noted. So this little handheld device that Malachi is holding beeps, and he says, The geomagnetic disturbance is reaching its peak. I have to act now. 
He then pulls out something that looks like a weapon and aims it at Daniel, who rightly replies, I don't understand. <laughs> and it's just like such a Daniel thing to do when someone points a gun at him to just stare and go, I don't understand. Yeah. I mean, though, in that situation, would you, I like, would you duck or move out of the way or like just run or something? Or would you be like, I don't, I don't get it. We were just having a good time. We were just partying. You were complimenting me on my language skills. I mean, yeah, in, in this particular situation, I'd probably do what Daniel did, did and just be like, I don't I don't understand. I thought we were friends. Yeah. thought we were getting along. Why why yeah. are you putting a weapon at me? Joint hmm. love of knowledge. <laughs> uh, so he shoots Daniel, who falls down unconscious. Maybe. We don't know. Uh, Malachi then pulls Daniel off to the side and then starts pressing stones on the altar and then a button that's off to the side, which activates it because the stones then start moving up and down kind of like some sort of whack-a-mole arcade game yeah we don't know at this point if daniel is dead if we should chalk this up to the daniel death toll right no we don't know there is a theory about whether or not daniel is dead or just unconscious but we can get to that at the end because it actually relates to something that malachi says like at the end of the episode okay so Sam is done setting up her equipment and Jack calls Daniel over the radio that it's time to go. Obviously there's no response. So they look over to where he was and then there's the sound of like static energy buildup happening and Tilk, you know, remarks on it. And Jack's like, yeah, I hear that. And you can tell that they're not liking what's going on. Like this is, they don't think this is a good thing. And the pillars by the gate start arcing energy between them. And then the gate activates and everyone ducks down just in time to avoid the kawoosh. And we have a quick cut back to the SGC where there is an incoming wormhole. And that same energy is seen sort of spreading over the iris and the gate. And they obviously have no idea what that is. And so back on the planet, they all rush over towards Malachi and see Daniel. And Sam goes to check on him while Jack and Tilk head over to Malachi and like try and pull him away from the altar. But that energy beam like heads back and actually hits them. And they're sort of enveloped in that blue electricity. And then there's a bright flash of light. And then we're in the commissary at the SGC with the team eating breakfast. And Daniel says, anyway, I'm sorry, but that just happens to be how I feel about it. What do you think? <laughs> um, Quick note here. So this is one of the episodes that was in the script book. So some of the notes and fun facts will be coming from that. And so uh, in the script, this was originally scripted as a plate of mac and cheese, but then it was decided that fruit loops would be funnier yeah. for somebody stuck in a time loop. Yeah. Although mm. mac and cheese sounds delicious. It is delicious. Um, and then the secondary fun fact is that the fruit loops were actually glued into place on Jack's spoon so that they were the same in every single shot. Oh, I bet they do that a lot in commercials, though, so it wouldn't really be that far fetched. Yeah, I mean, if you sit and think about it, funny. it's like, yeah, it's funny, but it's like, yeah, they would probably do that. Um, it's nice that they were actually finally paying attention to <laughs> continuity. <laughs> to continuity. Yeah. yeah. So Jack is obviously very confused about what's happening as we cut to the opening credits. So what do you think that Daniel's question was? Oh my God. That is just a debate 
for the ages. Um, I think that Daniel was making a very passionate argument as to who the current best player in the NHL is. No. No, he was totally asking if the SGC uniforms could all be made purple. <laughs> that That's not very good for camouflage, though. No, but it is good for fashion. Uh, yeah, that's hard to argue with, okay. Yeah, there probably are a whole bunch of blogs and internet debates out there about what the question actually was, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Was this ever asked at a convention? Oh, not to my, I'm sure it was, but not that I can recall. Mm. Yeah. That would have been a good one. Mm -hmm. It is a good one. So we come back from the opening credits, like just exactly where we left off from when we cut to them still in the commissary. And Jack's like, we were just on an alien planet, right? And I was like, no. I was like, yes, we were. No, we weren't. And Sam adds that they've been chatting over breakfast for the last 30 minutes. But, oh, now it's time to head up to the briefing. And I just got to I love, like, this Jack Daniel banter that they do here and that they do so often. I love it so much. It's one of my favorite things about the show. They're just, they're so good at it. And I love it. Yeah. The way Michael says it, too, like, really gentle, but like, nope, this thing didn't happen. Like, no, we didn't do the thing. We Mm -hmm. weren't in the place. No. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I love that. It's so good. Mm -hmm. So Sam is up front leading the briefing and she opens with two weeks ago, SG-15 took these images of solar activity on P4X639. Analysis of the data indicates a steady increase in the intensity. Now, if I'm right, the explosions that we're witnessing here are just the precursor for an exponentially greater violent ejection. And Tilk and Jack both interrupt because they just they just did this. They just went to this planet. And everybody else is like, no, we didn't. This briefing is about going to the planet to do this stuff. And Jack then explains why Sam wants to go there and the experiments she wants to run, et cetera, which how would he know that if they didn't just do that? And then we get one of my all-time favorite exchanges where Sam says, maybe you read my report. And Daniel just replies, maybe he read your report? <laughs> Daniel's face as he says it, like as he says the lines, is hilarious. Like, I know. No. Uh, Michael's face is just—it's too much in the scene. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So Jack and Dilk, Jack and Tilk both continue to insist that they've done this before when they're interrupted by an unscheduled off-world activation. So they all head down to the control room. So Jack says it's SG-12, but they're not due back for several days, and the GDO comes in, and it's SG-12. Tilk adds that one of the members is injured, and one of them is. One of them is injured! Da-da-da! And cue confused looks all around. Mm-hmm. So a bit later, uh, General Hammond and Sam are walking through the halls trying to figure out what's going on with Jack and Tilk, and just, they, they got nothing. They don't know. They have no idea. And in the infirmary, Jack and Tilk are being examined, and Daniel is asking questions about what exactly happened on P4X639. And they tell him about that beam of light and about the archaeologist guy, Malachi, and how he and Daniel got along super swell. And basically, like, a beam of light shot out from the device, hit the Stargate, then there was a flash of light, and Jack was back in the commissary eating Fruit Loops. And Teok's makeup in this scene is particularly, like, dark and wingy. Like, usually it's more smoky and only kind of like a hint of a wing. But in this one, it's very, like, cut creasy and almost like Cleopatra. Kind of like it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I did notice that. It was definitely very 
sharp and defined more so than usual. Yeah. 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 I like it, but I don't know if I like it. No, <laughs> so, no I'm not sure I like it. So you like it, but you don't know if you like it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the medical exams are totally normal, except for the fact that Jack and Tilk are remembering stuff that hasn't happened yet. And so until they figure out what's going on, General Hammond is postponing the mission. A bit later, uh, out in the hallway, Daniel is carrying a bunch of folders and catches up with Jack at, like, a T-junction in the hall. And he's apparently had some thoughts about the beam of light that came from the altar. And luckily, SG-15 took a bunch of pictures, but it is the equivalent of about 400 pages of alien text. And if Jack had more details about, like, the layout of the altar, that might help. And just then, Siler comes, like, barreling down that hallway and just smacks right into Daniel, sending him to the ground, sending the pictures flying all over the place. And Jack just goes, should have seen that one coming. And here we have Peter's cameo. Peter Yay! There he is. He's that other airman with Silo who's, like, helping Daniel get back up and, like, collecting his papers and stuff. Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, a little bonus fun fact that is, like, Dan Shea running into Michael Shanks. Because Michael Shanks is a hockey player, so he's used to getting knocked on his ass and so can, you know, do that kind of thing. Yeah. And I do like Jack's face in this bit, but it it almost seems like it's more, like, sad than amused. I don't know if it's really sad, but his expression is definitely, like, a lot flatter than I would expect it to be. It almost seems like he played it as if, like, this was multiple times that he had seen this, but it was actually, like, the first time. I thought it was a bit weird. It is weird, yeah. Yeah. So we cut to the commissary where Jack is enjoying a cup of coffee, looking bored out of his mind. And Sam sits down and just stares at Jack, wondering if he knows what she's going to say. And nope, because they should be on the other planet at this point. So this is all new. And anyway, Sam was also thinking about that beam of light that hit the gate and posits that Jack and Tilk aren't remembering future events, but were actually sent back in time for six hours. Sure, why not? So she asks, could the beam you mentioned be a means to access the gate's subspace field in order to create some kind of time inversion outside of subspace? Jack just kind of pauses and goes, I knew you were going to say that. So she's going to go run some simulations. And Jack's dialogue here at the end is not scripted. It was actually improvised by Rick on set where he goes, you run, simulate. Let me know how it turns out. Keep me posted. Keep me apprised. Which I love. Yeah. Love it. So Jack and Tilk are in Hammond's office, who gives them the all-clear, health-wise at least, and he's about to give them the go-ahead to get back to work when there's another unscheduled off-world activation. And they all head down to the control room, and there's that weird energy thing again, and Jack and Tilk know what's going on, and then we get that bright flash of light, and anyway, I'm sorry, but that just happens to be how I feel about it. What do you think? Uniform should be purple! (laughs) Jack just puts down his spoon and, oh, yeah, something's wrong. Yeah, I know. So back up in the briefing room, stop. We've been here. We've done this. They're like, yeah, we have briefings every day. And Jack's like, no, not briefings, but this specific briefing on this specific day. And it all started when they went to P4X 639. We, we haven't been to 639 yet. Yes, we have. No, they haven't. Jack says that Daniel was going to say, which, of course, Daniel was going to say that. So bad example so <laughs> i love the theories of bad example 
Yes. And then Jack continues with, why do only Tilk and I remember? And that's what Sam's going to say, because that's what she asked last time. And, well, Jack doesn't know, but it has to have something to do with that planet. And everyone will see that they're telling the truth when SG-12 come back through the gate in three, two, one. Uh, No. Wait, where, where, where are they? Ten seconds later, there's the gate. Ah, so close. This is another one of those scenes that you used in one of your videos. It is? Yes, it is. Oh, they're tapping the watch. watch. Yes. Yes. Yep. Uh Now I remember. Yep. Yep. Okay. So we jump to the infirmary, but this is pointless because everything is normal. And Hammond and Sam enter and Dr. Fraser starts to give a rundown. But Jack interrupts and tells Hammond that it's useless to postpone the mission because they tried that last time and this still happened. And uh, a nurse shoves like keeps shoving a thermometer into Tilk's mouth, which that was all Peter. That was not in the script. That was just Peter going shove a thermometer in his mouth. Oh, yeah. just so you know just so like something's happening in the background there so yeah (laughs) so back to the hall 400 pages of alien text but this time jack comments that the writing looks familiar and daniel confirms that it's the language of the ancients which cool but jack is back to being jack and can't read it which that's yes that that's a good thing but if Jack could give Daniel any information about the layout and stuff, and oh, there's Siler. Oh, no, there it is again. No, he doesn't um, even find it more funny. I know. Uh, the original script actually had uh, Jack kind of like shoving Daniel out of the way so Siler doesn't run into him. But they mm-hmm. decided to keep Siler running into Daniel because it's funny to watch Michael Shanks get smacked to the ground and papers fly everywhere. It kind of would have been a funny bit if the more they, you know, progress with the loops happening, they still had this part happening every time. (laughs) And we just showed Daniel getting like hit and hit and hit. I think that would have been like hysterical. But then they do, you know, do the scene later where he just goes to find him first. So yeah, kind of cut that one off. But I thought it would have been hysterical. Yeah, it is funny. Yeah. Um, So Jack and Tilk head into Hammond's office to try and persuade him to let them go back to 639 before it's too late to stop this day repeating again. And, you know, Hammond is trying to understand, but this whole situation is just really weird and difficult to grasp. And Jack's like, if it was just me, I would agree with you. But like, what about Tilk? Tilk agrees with me. Is this the face of a crazy man? As Tilk cocks an eyebrow. Okay, bad example. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that is the second bad example we have. Yep. And so apparently Hammond agrees because we cut to SG-1 exiting the gate back on 639. And little personal note here. I know back in Upgrades, I said that the only time we see SG-1 exiting the gate in Season 4 was in Upgrades. And it happens here. But I'm pretty sure I didn't use this clip because just the, the coloring of the scene is weird. And it just doesn't work with all of the other clips that I used in that video. So. Oh, yeah. Oh. Okay, I'm, then. I, I'm making that excuse for myself here. Well, I like the one you ended up using anyway, so. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Sam says the storm is building up, so they need to get a move on. And Jack heads them over towards the altar. And Sam wonders how it works. And Jack answers with subspace fields and time inversions. Because that's what Sam said last time. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Malachi then, like, walks in from like off to the side somewhere and Jack immediately aims his gun at him and Sam follows suit because that's what good soldiers do. And Jack demands that he undo whatever it is he did. And Malachi tries to insist that he didn't do anything and tries to play off that. This is the first time he's met SG one. 
he offers to show SG-1 his notes and starts to reach for his bag. But Jack is like, ah, no. And like goes over and grabs it and starts going through it and finds that weapon that he shot at Daniel. And again, another classic SG-1 moment where Jack goes, <laughs> what kind of archaeologist carries a weapon? And Daniel's just like, uh, I, I do. Yes. Also, I'm pretty sure our, all archaeologists in general carry weapons because they're often in not in safe environments. Yeah, but, at least knives. Yeah. Yeah. So, Machetes. Yeah. Then we get another okay bad example whatever yeah. uh he continues rifling through the bag and finds a picture of malachi's wife uh Aww. fun fact here the the picture of the wife is nicole forrest who is the head of the stargate accounting department and oh. actually, yeah and she's actually married to peter west who's like directed several episodes of the series oh that's funny so yep yeah so the machine then activates and Jack yells at Sam, what did you do? Because he somehow thinks Sam turned it on, even though she was just standing there and then yells at Sam to turn it off. And she's like, how? And Malachi explains that it's getting its power from the atmosphere and there's nothing that Major Carter can do. And aha, how, how, how do you know her name, Malachi? We never told yeah. you. Yeah. It, not this time around anyway. And okay, fine. He's caught, but he's not going to turn the machine off. So Jack calls to Daniel to like take a look and like Daniel, you you read this language, you turn it off. And he's like, What what do you want me to do? It would take years to translate this. And they're writing on the machine anyway. And then we're back to the Fruit Loops. So this time around though, they're all standing around the table when the light happens. So why is it that they aren't all then caught in the loop? Well, because Jack and Tilka are already in the loop because they got hit with the beam the first time because the time looped even with them not on the planet. So, oh, but you're right. But like Sam and Tilka are now, or Sam and Daniel are now like in the way. Yeah, because. <gasps> oh my like, God, that's I didn't even think about that. I know, because that's what I thought. Because so from what we kind of gathered, the, although we, I don't even really know, the first time that they were caught in the way with uh, Tilk and Jack being caught in the way was what mm-hmm. I thought was the first time that the guy had actually turned it on. That Malachi had been like studying mm-hmm. it forever and all that stuff. But that was the first time he actually activated it. In I, theory, that's what I thought. Yeah, I don't think that's true. I think sort of based on how he's acting with the shouldn't you be leaving like at this time that team is usually leaving that mm. it's not the first loop in general. It's just the first loop that SG one gets caught inside of. Ah, well then, yeah, they totally should have all been caught in it together. Yeah. They're all standing around the table. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Unless it is the first loop, but I always thought it wasn't just because of the way Malachi is acting. I don't know. Yeah, he does act in the first scene like he has encountered them before, like they're yeah. in, like they're in the middle of something. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he does kind of be like, "Shouldn't you, shouldn't you be going now?" Um, but I don't know why they would have left before. Yeah, just because Sam was done, so it was time to go. Yeah. You know, maybe they, you know, were just five minutes later leaving Earth, so they were on the planet five minutes later than they usually were. Yeah. The other thing is, though, that I was kind of wondering about this device, mm-hmm. is it's supposed to be that it 
once you turn it on, it works by itself until you turn it off? Or is Malachi turning it on every time? Because the I, first time we see him do it, he hits the Turniani button. Yeah, but that, but then here he doesn't touch anything. So maybe, so maybe the first loop was the first time because here he doesn't touch anything and it starts going. Yeah, I feel like that's what it is. Okay, so maybe that, yeah, so that was the first one. So that's the only time the beam goes back to the altar because that's the first time or is the, but the beam seems to be the thing that resets time that loops time back to the beginning. Yeah. So theoretically, they should have all been caught in it anyway. Yeah, now my brain hurts. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, time travel. Why must you be so complicated? You're welcome. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. that's that's what I gathered was that he had been researching it forever, but that was the first time he actually turned it on. And that is why Jack and Tilk were caught in it with him. Okay. And maybe that yeah. would be the excuse as to why the rest of the team doesn't get caught in it the other time. But I, I did think that was weird that that particular yeah. time they were all standing around the table and like went back to the beginning. Yeah. I, I mean, I think an argu- argument can be made both ways for yeah. that. Yeah. I've heard it both ways. <laughs> okay. So Fruit Loops time, but then we cut straight to the briefing room where Jack and Tilk interrupt before Sam can even get started. And they explain everything about the beam accessing the subspace field of the gate. And it's powered by ionization that builds up in the atmosphere due to the geomagnetic storm. They don't know why no one else remembers, but there's no need to have Dr. Fraser examine them. Cut to the infirmary and Jack going, I ask you what could possibly be in my eye that could explain this. Which there actually is a logical reason why she's looking in his like to make sure that his pupils are responsive. Yes. And also, if you need to see someone's brain, you look into their eye because that's how you can see into your brain. Mm. Because your pupil is a hole to your brain. Yeah. I know it's gross, but it's true. Yeah. So General Hammond and Sam are again walking through the halls trying to figure out what's going on and Sam is leaning quite heavily towards believing what Jack and Tilk are saying simply because Jack actually used all of those highly technical scientific terms correctly, which there's a very long shot of that happening in general. And if this is true, the consequences of this are huge. And sadly, the next time the loop starts, they'll have forgotten that they ever had this conversation. So Jack and Tilk then enter Daniel's office where he was just gathering up all of those photos and papers to go find Jack. And they're like, let's just stay in here. And Daniel tells them that he's translated part of the wall of the temple area, which seems to be some kind of planetary history. Jack's like, great, please focus on the altar so they can figure out how to turn it off because that's what's controlling this whole time loop thing. Daniel needs more context, though, to understand what exactly the altar machine is doing. And Jack's like, we know what it's doing. It's time looping. And he's like, well, maybe that's not what it was made to do. And this time loop is just like a byproduct of its actual purpose. And so then his phone rings and apparently Sam has something for them. Yeah. Interestingly, in the script, it originally had Jack answering the phone. But it was changed, like, due to blocking and also because why would Daniel not answer the phone in his own office? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Why would Jack answer the phone in Daniel's office? I don't know. Would have been funnier if Teal did it then. (laughs) That would have been funny, yeah. 
I would have loved to hear Tilk answer a phone. <laughs> How do you think Tilk answers a phone? Do you think he just says hello like humans do? Or do you think he's developed his own sort of greeting? Maybe he just says indeed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hmm. <laughs> so up in the briefing room, Sam explains her theory based on what Jack and Tilk have told them about all of the previous loops. And basically, if this effect is coming through the gate from 639, then the only way to stop it is to dial out. Great. Ooh. Good plan. So a few minutes before That's they expect. actually a good idea. I mean, it really is. Yeah. So a few minutes before they expect the incoming wormhole, they'll dial like the Tolan homeworld. And then any incoming wormhole will just get the busy signal. Hammond's like, great, do it. So we cut to the time to dial out, but somehow the seventh Chevron won't lock. So Sam starts running a diagnostic, but then there's the incoming wormhole. No. Nothing is wrong with the earth gate. Electricity is sparking everywhere, and Jack just, like, waves goodbye as they're all enveloped in a bright flash of light and cut to the fruit loops. Yeah, fruit loops. Mm-hmm. Uh, a fun fact, so the shot of Michael Shanks going, I'm sorry, that just happens to be how I feel about it, what do you think, was actually just the same take recut in over and over again. And so they just, I guess, you know, filmed it a couple times, picked the best one, and then just looped that one into the episode where it was needed. Oh, so he really is duplicate. Yes. Not just imitating himself again. Yes. Because that would be weird. To yeah, a little repeat bit. Repeat something over and over again and just kind of yeah. duplicate yourself. Yeah, that that'd probably be difficult to do because you usually emphasize words a little differently every time you say something. Yeah. Even though you probably try to keep it the same and, you know, little yeah. things and stuff. Yeah. So. yeah, it's weird. It is. So this time, though, we jump all the way to Jack and Tilk in Daniel's office. And Daniel reminds them that there's no way he could translate this whole thing in less than a day. Jack's like, ha that's okay, because I recorded it last time. And it's like, but that hasn't happened yet, because the whole time loop resets time thing. So... Uh, <laughs> I love Tilk's face too because so, the, so many faces in this so episode many. are just yes. awesome. That like yes. how people say things are just amazing. But I love yes. Tilk when he's like, "I told you it wouldn't work," or whatever, yes. whatever his line actually is. And just yeah. like that little little hint, the little upturn of a smile, it's creeping smile. up in there. You can see it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so eventually we get to like the only way out of this is for Jack and Tilk to learn. And remember all of this alien text. And Jack's like, sure, fine, we can do that. And picks up one of the pictures and then Daniel like pulls it out of his hand and turns it right side up. <laughs> oh, it's so uh, good. It's so good. So good. I would have loved for so that much. to be improv too. That would yeah, be great. That was scripted. Like, nope. Oh man. Yeah. <sighs> Someone was intentionally funny. Yes. So Sam and Hammond are up in the briefing room discussing the situation and what happened in the last loop with the unsuccessful dial out attempt. So they decided to do some test dialing and found that basically there's this like bubble of 14 planets with 639 at the center and that all of these planets, including Earth, are essentially out of sync with the rest of the Stargate system. Unfortunately, there's not really anything they can do. This whole thing is down to Jack and Tilk. Oh, man. Do with that so, what you will. I know. It's like, oh, boy. 
which this was like this was a thing that sort of talked about in the commentary and in the script book that giving this to Jack and Tilk rather than like Sam and Daniel who like they're used to doing this kind of sciency super smart stuff is like where you then find a lot of the comedy and a lot of the character growth having you know the characters put in uncomfortable situations that they're not used to Mm-hmm. But it's that's something good. they absolutely have to do and can't get out of. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's great. Mm-hmm. So Jack and Tilt are in Daniel's office, and Jack is reading a book called Latin for the Novice by Joseph Malozzi, PhD. <gasps> I noticed that. Yay. I noticed that one. Yay. And like Jack hates this, but you know, they really don't have any choice. And we get the uh, unscheduled off-world activation. And Jack tells Tilk about, like, the worst part of the loop being the fact that, you know, he was in the commissary with Daniel and Daniel was asking him a question and he wasn't listening. And it's like, oh, you think you have a bad Jack? Just wait and see what happens with Tilk at the beginning of every loop as we get the bright flash of light. And Tilk gets a door smashed in his face. Every time. Every time. Uh, No wonder he is really, really unhappy about it. Yeah, Tilk Tilk really got the short end of the stick here. Yeah. (laughs) So now we get the start of what I will call time loop montage number one, where we sort of... Have a good montage! Yes, where we sort of start quickly cycling through a whole bunch of loops over and over again, because, like, at this point we get what's going on. So we get flash of light back to Daniel's office as they continue to help Daniel translating as Jack plays with, like, a couple balls of paper and Daniel comments that they're finally starting to get somewhere... Flash of light, next loop, Tilk and Jack correct one of Daniel's translations with Jack saying the word abisairum means to give up, not surrender. So they're uh-huh. learning. Mm-hmm. Yes. Flash of light, next loop, part of the text is about the original inhabitants arrival on 639 as Jack just spins in his chair and Tilk sits there looking very bored. Flash of light. Yes. Jack starts juggling some of the balls of paper as Daniel explains the thing he just explained before. Next loop, Jack is now a master juggler. Next loop, Tilk is a master juggler now too, which apparently Rick and Chris are just really good jugglers and can just can do that. I do love this montage, how it's just like one of them, then the other one, then both of them. Yep. Having like Um, a juggling competition. Yeah. Uh, flash of light, next loop, next loop, something about like the foundation of a colony as Daniel turns to see Jack and Tilk juggling the paper. And it's like, are you guys paying attention? <laughs> and then unscheduled off-world activation, flash of light. And we are now in the commissary where Tilk finds Jack who is taking this loop off and is like squirting ketchup and mustard all over a plate. And he's like, we need to figure this out soon or I'm going to lose it. And Tilk just stares at him, and Jack goes, lose it. It means go crazy, nuts, insane, bonzo, no longer in possession of one's faculties, three fries short of a happy meal, wacko, as he displays a smiley face made of ketchup and mustard on his plate. I tell you what, though, this is even more stressful than, like, a regular Groundhog Day thing, because at least in Groundhog Day, or, you know, other things they do for this, like, the person is living pretty much an entire day and they're only reliving like a matter of hours. Yeah, that would be so frustrating. That yeah, you don't even get an entire day. It's what like six to ten hours or something. Yeah, 
yeah they yeah, say yeah, drive- they mentioned posts yeah six and ten hours and it's yeah mm. that that would that would drive you nutty really fast oh yeah oh yeah yeah a uh, flash of light back in Daniel's office proceeding with the translation and um, they've lost track of how many loops they've been through at this point. And Daniel then tells Jack the worst thing you could possibly tell Jack in this situation where he goes, think about it. I mean, if you know in advance that everything is always going to go back to the way it was, then you could do anything for as long as you want without having to worry about the consequences. And Jack and Silk both kind of pause and they're like, Excuse me, as they hightail it out of Dana's office. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised uh, they didn't think of that on their own, though, right? Well, you know, they're probably just trying, they want to get out of the loop. So that's yeah. what they're busy focusing on and working on. Yeah. So we have now uh, time loop montage number two, I will call this. And um, according to the commentary and some notes in the script, uh, this episode was actually coming in quite a bit short, like time length wise due to the lack of what is known in the industry as shoe leather, which is uh, sort of the bits at the beginning and end of scenes where characters like walk into or out of a scene and sort of due to the nature of the story, like a lot of that is just like hard cut out to get the sort of, you know, time loop thing going. So while they were filming, they had to come up with a bunch of other stuff that Jack and Tilk could be doing. And so like the juggling was actually one of those that was added, I think like right at the end of filming that was like one of the last things that they did oh really that's funny so now the funniest thing that they do i think it's because like they knew jack could juggle or like that rick could juggle and rick didn't want to do it like on camera like he didn't want that to like be a thing but they convinced him to do it so it's it's on there now for everybody and then chris was like hey i can do that too yeah that is that is hilarious Mm mm-hmm so, like, a bunch of this stuff coming up in this montage is the stuff that was sort of added at the last minute as they were filming and realized, oh, my, we don't have enough filmed to fill mm-hmm. a whole episode. So yeah. we have Jack working at a potter's wheel as his first one collapses. Um, we have Jack riding a bike through the halls of the SGC. This was sort of in the script, but it was originally scripted as Jack riding a Harley like down the highway. Like at oh. night, and they just didn't have time to like do that, so they changed it to just a bike in the halls of the SGC, which I think oh. is hilarious and I think works much better. Yeah, I like that. Uh, we then get Jack and Tilk playing golf through the gate. Which is <laughs> I love awesome. that one. This is this is the best one. This is the best one. And um, so there's there's like two shots of them playing golf through the gate. It was actually originally just like going to be like one bit but again because they needed time they split it uh like in editing and post into two bits afterwards um my one my one independently found fun fact is so the the those pants that jack is wearing like the short golfer pants yes they're called plus fours because they extend four inches below the knee they have like an official name for that type of trouser plus fours there you go plus fours Mm-hmm. And they're often aided, often coordinated with really long socks. Is yes. what the rest of the outfit is? Is that yeah, it's like knee socks. socks. So okay. yeah. And Jack is back at the pottery wheel and has apparently mastered potting now. And then back to the golf. And one of the greatest lines in Stargate history, where Hammond yells, "Colonel O'Neill, what are you doing?" And Jack just goes, "In the middle of my backswing." <laughs> 
His shot isn't that good, though. The one he I know, actually he does. does. Slice, he slices it. Well, I think yeah. in, in the previous golf thing, he, like, slices it off to the side a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Then a flash of light cut to Tilk getting the door smashed open in his face. But this time he just reaches out and very calmly but very forcefully pushes it back closed in the airman's face. <laughs> yep. Also, okay. in that scene is is the awesome face of like the teal smile of like yes, it just it's <laughs> there. It's ever so slightly there, mm-hmm. but it's so very much there. Yes, the very subtle teal smirk is great. Mm-hmm. I like it. Um, up in the control room, Jack hands Hammond his reg- resignation while wearing civilian clothing, and he's retiring so he can uh, do do something. I don't know. I, I didn't see what it was that he did here. I don't know. <laughs> I tell you what though. The whole like phantom split that we were talking about before or the whole mm-hmm. like build up to oh my god what are like I think this would have been funny anyway. Even yeah. if it was even if it was completely out of the blue, had no reference to anything, was just an independent like something he decided to do, like it still would have been funny. Yeah. I, I mean I it enjoyed is. the bit. Yeah. I do, yeah. I just yeah. I just had to make the joke because of, you know, the yeah. divide and conquer and stuff. Um, I know. Uh, fun fact actually, here, though. Um, so the Air Force consultants actually insisted on the resignation being in there, even though there's a time loop and it's going to reset and everything. But, um, you know, just because of the regs and everything, they didn't want to misrepresent anything. So they insisted oh. that Jack actually tender his resignation before kissing Sam. <gasps> That's so funny. Mm-hmm. And it, it really does work well in the scene. Yeah. Where he's like, I'm handing you this so I can do this. And And, there we go. Yeah. Yep. It is interesting that he does it like right at the end of the loop, though. Like when he knows it's resetting, he's like got five seconds. Oh, yeah. So he can't actually (laughs) gauge anyone's reaction. I thought that was interesting, too. Yeah. 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 So flash of light and now we're out of the montage and uh, up in the briefing room. Jack is staring kind of creepily at Sam as Daniel prepares his presentation. And so with the help of Tilk and Jack, Daniel has finished the translation of the altar. And the planet was once an ancient outpost, but there was some kind of unspecified cataclysm, perhaps a disease, but they will never know for sure. So they built a time machine so they could try and go back to avoid the whole horrible event. Unfortunately, it did not work and just created a short time loop like they are experiencing right now. So General Hammond then goes so they can break the loop. And Daniel starts to go into a very long technical answer about the device and how it relates to the geomagnetic storm. And Daniel and Jack just interrupts with, yes, it can be broken. Yeah. So. Which, like, it's like, Daniel, I get it, but yes, it, the, the important bit is, yes, it can be broken, and also, like, time. We gotta, like, get mm-hmm. moving. So, if they can activate the symbols in the right order, then they can turn it off, and Hammond's like, great, you got 30 minutes, and then you're going. Back on 639, they come out of the gate, and Jack comments that the storm is building, and they shouldn't stay long. Lucky guess. And they head towards the altar and call out for Malachi and Tilt gets closest and is stopped by a force shield that sends him like flying back quite a ways and actually like knocks him out for a little bit. Yeah, and, that's new. Yeah. And Malachi is like, I know I'm here and I can't let you break the loop. So uh, Sam then comments about the shield and he's like, yes, I did have to like barter and trade to get a Gould shield generator because, you know, he can't have... SG-1 stopping his work, 
And we finally get the, the, the reason why he's doing this. So he's doing this because his wife died 12 years ago and he misses her. And they're like, so you want to go back and save her? And he's like, no, that's not possible. She died of a congenital heart defect. There's nothing that can save her. He just wants to spend more time with her. And Daniel goes, this doesn't work. This never worked. Um, and, you know, everything they've learned about this device, it never will. And Malachi insists it does. And SG-1 or just Daniel is living proof that it works. So this is the comment where people are like, so does that mean Daniel died? Because since he's here now, he's living proof that the time loop works. Time machine works. Mm. What do you think? Ooh, there it is. Okay. Because mm-hmm. uh, when I first watched that, my interpretation was just that they continue to be around, like they, they continue to go through the loop. Yeah, and like that, and that they know what's going on. That and that they know that they are in a loop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's how I took it too. And then I saw somebody make that comment, and I was like, "Oh, that's a good point. Maybe you're living proof of that." Um, yeah, because otherwise, couldn't he just say, "You're proof that it does work"? But he says, yeah. "Living proof." I mean, yeah. So are you saying yes, Daniel did die? You know what? Yeah, but. Okay. Yeah. The other, well, because the other point I want thought was interesting is that like mm-hmm. they, there's some line in there where you know they're they're kind of antagonizing him of like why do you want to do this and he's like you think I'm doing this for personal power and then he goes on to tell an entire story that is all about him wielding this thing to do his bidding <laughs> to go spend time with his wife. So, yeah. Like, so in reality, yes, yes, you do. Yeah. Um, just on your own personal scale. But yeah, that, oh, yeah, I'm going to go with, mm-hmm, yep. We have, okay. We chalk that one up to to the Daniel death toll. Okay. We got oh. an, I've, I've lost where I've been keeping track of that, but I think okay. I should I should find that so I can add to it because we got one more for it. Okay. Yep. Daniel death toll. Excellent. Plus one. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Jack then has, you know, not even the ancients could figure this out. And these are the people who built the Stargate. You know, Malachi will just be trapped in this loop forever until it goes along with billions of other people. And Sam adds the thing about, you know, 14 other planets are being affected by this device. And he's like, oh, I didn't realize that was happening. And he actually seems kind of guilty about that. But he's like, yeah, that doesn't matter. I'm not stopping. I'm, I'm going to keep going with this. So Screw you, billions and billions of people. I want to see my wife for an hour. Yep. And, you know, Jack continues with, you know, if you can't save her, like, like, why are you trying to go back in time to do here? And he Malachi just goes, you know, to talk with her, to hear her laugh. And then Jack goes and then just watch her die all over again and then start this whole time loop thing over again. And we start to hear like the energy buildup happening and like another loop is about to start. And Jack's like, I know what you're going through. And Malachi insists you can't. And. Oh, the, like this little like two sec, two minutes from like Rick here where he goes, I can, I lost my son. Like, oh, just like the power and the anguish you feel yeah. in those words is just mm-hmm. so good. It's and nice. yeah. And, you know, as much as Jack would want more time with him, like he he can't live through his Charlie's death again. That would be even worse than what he's going through now. Just yeah. knowing that his son has died. 
And like, it's time for Malachi to let his wife go. So I think that, you know, even if he did get it to work and he went back to spend time with her, I think what would end up happening is that even spending the time with her knowing she would eventually die would actually end up being worse than Mm. going through her actual death over and over again. And I think he would eventually be in the mindset of wanting to try to save her somehow. And I think he would end up just making it all sorts of worse. Yeah, that's a very good point. I, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it seems like Malachi finally gives in and um, pushes like two buttons on the altar to turn it off. (laughs) I noticed that too, that it wasn't a big complicated thing. It was just just like two of them. (laughs) Okay. You know Uh, what? That is good, though, because the memo we had before of, like, learn how to turn things on and off again, it means mm -hmm. the whole time he knew how to stop it, which is often the issue. Yeah. (laughs) Not knowing how to stop things. Yeah. Can you imagine if he said, I don't know how to turn it off yet? They'd been like, well, shit. (laughs) But luckily, but, you know, hopefully Daniel and them did know how to turn it off because that was the whole point of everything. Um, Yeah. So uh, he then also lowers the shield and Jack heads over and like pulls out the picture of Malachi's wife from his bag and hands it to him. It's like, here's your wife. Your wife is here. She's not gone. You have the memories. You have all of that stuff. So we cut back to SG-1 arriving back on Earth and confirming to Hammond that the mission was was a success. And as Jack says, if at first you don't succeed, try, 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 try again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then we are... Back in the commissary where Jack is now very happily eating a bowl of oatmeal. It did not look like oatmeal, though. No, I don't know what that was. It was was... like some sort of cream of wheat mush or something. It was not the consistency of oatmeal. No. No. Uh, It was originally scripted as tuna casserole, but then they changed it to oatmeal once they changed the mac and cheese to Fruit Loops to keep, like, the whole breakfast theme Mm. going. And so Sam says here that the Tok'ra were apparently trying to get in touch with the SGC for over three months, but who knows how long it even was before the Tok'ra first reached out. So who knows how long they may have been stuck in this loop for much longer than three months. Oh man. So do you suppose if they're living like six to 10 hours over and over again, they're just looping those in the span of six months. So they're not just let or three months. So that's like way more yeah. days, if you will. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. to add up to the three months. Holy crap, that's a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we're I have I do have a little problem with stuff, but we'll get to that when we're done. Talk about we're almost done. Okay. So what uh, you have a problem with space time with sci fi T V show handling thereof. Yeah. Um, so, um, okay. So Daniel then asked Jack if he ever did something like totally crazy while they were stuck in the loop. And all Jack says is that Daniel asked him that question before they're like, and, and Jack says nothing, just smiles very creepily at Sam again. And in the commentary, if you've been in the Stargate fandom for any length of time, you may be familiar with Peter DeLuise's phrase of, I now have carnal knowledge of your face. (laughs) The end. <laughs> I have never heard that before. Okay. Yeah, it was a thing that went around for a while. I have carnal knowledge of your face. Is that just to mean, like, I'm staring at you creepily at your face? Yeah, like, like that was Peter's what Jack is thinking internally as he's staring mm-hmm. at Sam. 
I have uh, common knowledge of your face. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Yeah. That's something else I should put in my vocabulary. <laughs> but on the other side of the business card. Other side of the business card. Rest of the slogan for the nightclub. <laughs> Got it. I like it. Let's do it. Um, okay. So my general issue here with the end of this is so the reason they couldn't dial out at the beginning is because they are out of sync with the rest of the stargates that are in the stargate system which posits that because they're reliving the same day over and over again the physical position of those planets is also being reset Mm -hmm. you know because stargates work by where objects are located in space yes so they're now out of the time loop but it's still just the next day so even though the Tok'ra have been trying to reach them for three months, it's not suddenly three months later. It's still just tomorrow from when the time loop started. They should still be out of sync forever with the rest of the Stargate system, except for those 14 gates that were in the loop with them, because they didn't suddenly jump forward three months in time. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I kind of thought of it as once the machine was turned off, in my head, it just kind of stopped whatever blockages were happening from time perception to go forward as normal. Okay. Because, like, if you're quarantined in your house and you're living the same day over and over again, like, life is happening outside you. Right. And that's kind of what I pictured was going on. Okay. So do you think the planets were physically moving back in, like, time and space 10 hours or were they still doing orbits as normal because like they should have gone through seasons then and you would think they would make a comment of like oh my god it's suddenly winter now or something oh man now we're getting to some complicated territory i know was it actual setback of time or was it just everyone's perception of setback of time yes exactly including the world yes well, I mean, we never went outside the Stargate to see if yeah. to see if things were changing. No. And never if, went if, at, we never yeah. went out of the SGC. Nope. So it could have it could have been happening either way. Yeah. Just to, I mean, I don't think we can come to an answer on it, but it's just that's like the no. one sticking point I have in this episode is yeah. they should was still it be perception or was it actual travel? And yeah. you know what? No, because they never went out of the SGC. We won't know. Nope, we will never know. Yeah. If anybody out there has theories, let us know what you think. Yeah, do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, do you have any memos for this episode? Uh, yes, my memo for today that will be sent out is what what happens in the time loop stays in the time loop. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> That's good. I agree. Yes. Yep. <laughs> okay. Um. So the title. For this week, Window of Opportunity. It was apparently originally titled Ad Infinitum to Infinity. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's maybe like what Malachi is trying to find. Like he's trying to find a window of opportunity to be with his wife again. Mm -hmm. And also then what Jack and Tilk have as they go through the time loop. Mm -hmm. They have a window of opportunity to do a whole bunch of stuff that they might not normally doesn't Daniel reference it in that time that he brings up you you can do whatever you want with no consequences? Doesn't he almost say this is a window of opportunity? He says something very close. Let me I don't think he says 
that. Let me see if I can. He find doesn't that. say the exact words "window of opportunity," but he he says something very very close. Yes. Um. <laughs> let me see if I can find that in the transcript. Now he says, "Well, think about it. I mean, if you know in advance that everything is always going to go back to the way it was, then you could do anything for as long as you want without having to worry about the consequences." Go. Oh, go back. He said, he says, on the other hand, it's kind of an opportunity. Yeah. That's where it is. Yep, that's the line. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, kind of. Almost, yeah. Of opportunity. So we actually have some really fun foreign territory titles this week. Ooh. Um, so the only one that was the same with Spain was also Window of Opportunity. Uh, the French called it the never-ending story. Yeah. Uh, Italian called it time inversion. Oh. Czech called it time loop. Mm. Uh, German called it no end in sight. <laughs> German would have been like Jack and Tjok. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hungarian called it a small opportunity. Oh, okay. And then Polish was just loop. And somebody put in there it was called summit. <laughs> no. Not this week, no. <laughs> this one is not summit. No. Um, so final thoughts. I mean, it's kind of an amazing episode. It is. Love it. Many interesting talking points. Yes. Yes. Yep. Love. Nothing but love for this one. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's. I mean, even after all this time, it's still just aces. It's the mm-hmm. best. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. As always, you can find us on Twitter at SG underscore Rewatch or send us an email at woo. That's W-O-O-S-G Rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time for Watergate. Bye. Bye. Here's a little postscript for everybody who stuck with us, with us. Thank you for making it through. We just wanted to do something a little fun for a window of opportunity. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it works as well as we are hoping it did. And if it wasn't fun, sorry. Sorry, we won't do it again. <laughs> Definitely a first for us. Yep. Um, okay, thanks. Bye, guys.